Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Well, it starts from a love of travel, but travel isn't just the destination. It's also the journey. And the journey gives relevance to the destination. The one thing that air has in its favor is that it's easy to book. The experience if we're honest, isn't actually that pleasant most of the time, but it's easy to book. With train travel, it's the other way around. But the booking it is is really the difficult bit. There were a couple of clips from my interview today with Mark Smith, a true expert on train travel, and we get into a ton around not just how to find the cheap tickets, but why train travel is so fantastic. He talks about some of those buying decisions you have to make as a traveler. Should you get the train pass? Should you just get individual tickets? How to balance spontaneity and affordability? Some of the classic train journeys in the USA and Europe that you might want to add to your bucket list. A great rule of thumb for planning train trips in Europe. Some of the best practices for booking overnight trains and which ones to avoid. He shares some incredible practical advice on how to search for and find cheap train tickets anywhere in the world. He talks about his experience traveling on the Trans-Siberian Railway and some of the different routes you might want to consider. He shares stories about some of the most memorable passengers he's encountered along the way. Always love a good travel story. You're going to hear thoughts on the future of train travel and so much more. It's just a wonderful mix of destinations and practical advice along with the why. Why we should travel by train. Something I personally love to do and something that actually changed my life. I'll share a bit more about that in this podcast as well as one of the most memorable passengers I've ever met on a train and so much more. It's all happening in today's show right now, my friend. So buckle up, strap in, get ready to ride the rails. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is a show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Fresh back from my trip to the USA. I want to tell you a little bit more about that in a minute, but it was a, it was a whirlwind. I'm excited to be home. 
Longest I've been away from my kids, two and a half weeks, but so wonderful to connect with family back there and friends. And I want to give a shout out to everybody that showed up for our in-person event. We had a, an event at a summer camp called Camp Indy up in Connecticut. And you know, I just want to shout out to everybody who came, who saw, I did the ropes course, jumped off some crazy platform. We swam in the lake. We had some incredible talks from speakers, and it was just an awesome experience and so wonderful uh, to just get around other people who love travel. Again, other people who value adventure and freedom. You know what I'm talking about. Things are opening up a bit more, and you know we're starting to have more social gatherings. It all feels a bit new, right? All these normal things we did for a long time. Go to the bar and sit down and have a beer with your buddy or just meet a group of friends for dinner. Starting to do those things again more and more. And it it feels fresh and it's just a wonderful reminder that it really is about the simple things, right? The simple pleasures in life. And speaking of simple pleasures, I always find that train travel is one of the great pleasures in life. To just sit on a train, kind of get rocked back and forth. There's almost like this... I don't know. Now, am I getting too psychological here? It's like taking me back to my being a baby rocking in a crib or something. I don't know. There's something about that gentle sort of swaying or just the the sounds. Maybe it's the white noise. I don't know. Something about train travel is magical. And I was so excited when I finally got Mark on the show. I've been wanting to have him on for a while. The man in seat 61. Got an incredible resource website out there, seat61.com. You'll hear more about that in the show. And you heard at the top all the things we're going to cover. It's just a wonderful blend of destination-specific recommendations for train trips you should take and also practical advice on how to manage the cost, how to find cheap tickets, how to plan your journey. And it's uh, an action-packed episode all about trains. It's just fantastic. So I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with Mark. And please stick around after the interview. I want to share a bit about how train travel changed my life and one of the most memorable passengers that I met (laughs) along the way on my first train journey. Okay, let's slip and slide into today's interview, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. How do you like living where you live? You've traveled all over, so what? what... Oh yeah, yeah. But it's always nice to have somewhere to come home to. And we're we're living out here in the countryside, so if if you're going to have a pandemic, this is the place to be. Um, what it's like for people in one bedroom flats with no outside space in the middle of a city under lockdown? Heaven only knows. I mean, at least here, although it's a it's a gilded cage, I think is the the, the, the phrase. At least we can sort of wander around the gardens and the grounds and out into the countryside. How many people live in your, what do you call it, Hamlet, village, town? Village? I don't, I don't know. I don't know, it. actually. I think it might be about 2,000, 3,000. It's, it's, it's big. It's a village, but it's, it's only a village. It's got one pub and one shop. That's a lot different than the sort of the action-packed travel lifestyle, right? You're kind of like out doing a lot of things. You come home and it's just the one pub. Do you like that? 
simplicity when you come home kind of like hey there there aren't many pubs to choose from here there's just one that's where i'm going for a beer oh yeah i mean i love i love visiting so i mean probably the best example is new york i mean it's it's morbidly fascinating it's incredible all those people living on top of each other and i love visiting it but i couldn't live there i'm sort of you know it's nice to visit but it's nice to come back to the uh, the countryside with the red kites nesting in the trees outside and the the deer wandering onto the lawn and the fox passing through every so often yeah, get you back uh, back in balance, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, I should give you a little bit of an introduction here. I'm on with uh, Mark Smith, who runs the award-winning website Seat61.com, and that's the number 61, uh, Seat61.com, which aims to inspire and enable you to explore the world via trains or ferries by giving you the know-how to book the trip yourself or call the right people to book it for you at affordable prices. I'm a huge fan of train travel uh, been hoping to get Mark on the podcast for a while. So I'm excited to pick his incredibly knowledgeable brain for your benefit today. So Mark, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to have you. So I was going through your website and I saw that you were doing a fundraiser for UNICEF Syria uh, Children's Appeal which is a wonderful thing. And I just just made a little donation on behalf of the podcast listeners here. But uh, I wanted to hear about some of your experiences traveling to Syria. I'm not sure if you traveled there by train or or what, but it sounds like you have a connection there. And I'm I'm wondering how that came about. Well, (laughs) I've been there twice, actually. And yes, from London to Damascus and back by train twice. Um, Initially, it was because of a book called The Overseas Timetable. Thomas Cook used to produce two timetables, a European one and an overseas one. So from Istanbul eastwards, you use the overseas one. And there was this weekly train from Istanbul to Aleppo in Syria. And I thought, what stops you just turning up at Istanbul and buying a ticket for it at dirt cheap prices because it's so cheap? Well, the answer is, of course, absolutely nothing. So I did. Um, and I boarded the train in Istanbul and travelled overnight through some fantastic scenery, um, got down to the Syrian border, and uh, the Turkish railways packed up, took their locomotive home with them, and we sat there for ages with the sound of birds singing and children playing at this border town. Uh, after I'd sat in the guy's office and had my passport checked as the only Westerner on the train, in fact, there were only a handful of us in the through coach. And uh, there was one sound absent, the sound of any locomotive, to take us to Aleppo. And I was pacing up and down in my compartment like a caged tiger, thinking, why do I do this to myself? Why couldn't I have just stayed in Istanbul, fabulous city? Why do I have to push things? Well, as it happens, the locomotive turns up. I go and have a look at it. The driver and second man, Abdullah and Sami of Aleppo Depot, said, would you like to ride up front with a locomotive? So I spent the next three hours, I think, in the driving cab of this ancient Syrian diesel rolling along at 40 kilometers an hour, except when there was bad track, 30 kilometers an hour. Abdullah would apologize for that bit, uh, all the way to Aleppo, arriving several hours late, late at night. But what an experience. It turned out, you know, from that caged tiger approach where I think, what am I doing? Why am I pushing myself? to one of the most amazing experiences. And for that reason, I I came back. The the Syrians are one of the most hospitable nations I've ever met. And that's why what's happened to them is, to me personally, so much more dramatic than just some strange country you see on the news, having actually been there. Mm. 
Yeah, the connection, I mean, that's what travel does for us, right? It connects us to the world in a different way. And when you've, like you said, you've, you've heard the sounds, you've smelled the smells, you've breathed the air, you've met the people. It's a whole different thing than just seeing it on TV. Te- on the telly, as you guys would say, right? Um, that's that's right. It's it's also fatal to prejudice because first of all, you realise that all us all us human beings are basically the same, and you also realise that we're all different. But the differences cease to be scary and start being interesting. Yeah. What year was this when you first did the trip? First trip was 1995, and the second trip would have been 2005. So a few years ago now. It was the most peaceful and safe country you could imagine then. In fact, if I was going to leave my bag in the street, come back to it half an hour later and expect it still to be there, uh, I think I would have to do that in Syria. It was such a safe, welcoming, hospitable place to be at that time anyway. Obviously, it's not now. Mm. Yeah, uh, I've had a... The pleasure of getting to meet and sit alongside in in class with... I I take Norwegian classes to assimilate to the culture here, learn the language and everything. And there are uh, some Syrian refugees here from from the war. And, you know, they, man, it's so tough because I'm here by choice. I married a Norwegian, but they, they're here separated from their families. Uh, these tragic backstories in, in a lot of cases. And just my heart goes out to everybody that has to go through something like that in their lifetime. It's terrible. So thank you for doing your part leveraging what what you have in terms of uh, what you've created and giving back in that way. You worked for the railroad for a long time, right? I always think this is it, this is a deeper level of expertise, right? Because it's not just like, hey, I'm an avid train traveler. I, I study this stuff or I have a lot of experience doing this. You've actually seen both sides of the coin. Can you talk about- I have. Well, in university holidays, I actually worked in a European rail office selling European rail tickets. So I've seen both sides of the counter in that sense. And then when I left university, I joined British Rail as a management trainee, uh, ended up as the station manager initially for some small stations down in rural Kent, and later for Charing Cross, London Bridge and Cannon Street stations up in London, uh, where it all uh, all goes on there. So frontline railway operations um, at that stage, this is back in the mid 90s, uh, ended up working at the Department for Transport, looking after the government regulation for fares and ticketing. So, yeah, it's it's good to see railways on the inside as well as the outside, because then you don't just see what you're looking at, you sort of understand what you're looking at um, when it comes to railways abroad and can hopefully try and explain it to travellers. Do you have any estimate on how many train trips you've taken in your life? Like if you just had to guess i know it'd be looking like one of those giant jar of jelly beans and trying to guess how many are in it i'm sure but you probably don't know exactly but if you just had (laughs) to i've lost count give us a rough estimate oh it's got to be in the tens of thousands i mean i commuted to work well i went to school every day on the train (laughs) and i went to work in london every day on the train every day of my working life so that would have racked up uh that would have racked up 400 chips a year just doing that yeah the choice you make uh, in terms of like how you're going to move your physical body through space to go from point A to point B impacts your travel experience. It can't not, right? And, and it changes it in some way. Yeah, I, I just want to hear why you prefer trains, what it is that that you're drawn to, uh, and, and just talk about your experience. Like, like, I mean, it's not just that you enjoy it, you've actually created business and dedicated your life in some ways around educating people 
around train travel. So you can, I get the feeling that you're doing it from a place of passion as well, because you want more people to have that experience that's very enjoyable to you. And, and what makes it so enjoyable to you to travel by train? Well, it starts from a love of travel, but travel isn't just the destination. It's also the journey. And the journey gives relevance to the destination. Uh, I mean, a mountaineer would understand. I mean, you could argue that it's much quicker and easier just to helicopter up to the top of a, a mountain. Why bother climbing it? Well, the answer is the summit is important as the summit because you've climbed the mountain. So I think they interact. And if you're going to enjoy the journey, you want a mode of travel that shows you the journey, where you can see where you're going. And also one that treats you like a human being. So you can sleep in a bed in your own room that you can eat in a restaurant. You can stand up and walk around. You're not strapped into a, a flimsy tube. You're, you're, you're able to face the person you're talking to and have a conversation. You're able to meet people. Um, I always say that it's one reason that uh, novelists and uh, filmmakers set romances and mysteries and whodunits on trains. But the only thing they seem to set on aircraft uh, is disaster movies um, because you can interact. It's a stage on a train and a ship, of course. I like traveling by sea almost as much as traveling by train. Having, In fact, I think I've been to the States more often now. I've arrived by sea than by air. Really? Over the Atlantic? Yeah. The, uh, initially on the Queen QE2 and uh, a couple of times on the Queen Mary 2, which is a lovely way. It's It's the way to enter New York, I think. New York Harbor. <laughs> How does one do that? I, I've never looked into crossing from Europe to the to the states by sea. Is that a, even affordable? How, how is that? If you can afford business class on a plane, you can afford a crossing on the Queen Mary too. I mean, she sails about once a month, occasionally twice a month, from April through to December. Uh, and we look at you're looking at about. I mean, you can get cheap deals from as little as, what, £700, $800, um, and that's seven nights accommodation and all food and entertainment, um, which is a pretty good deal if you look at it that way. Um, I left it quite late to book our crossing uh, in 2019, and actually it wasn't the airfare was ridiculously expensive for what we wanted to do, and for only a few hundred more, we were able to cross the Atlantic by sea as a family and then head across the start from the States to Canada and across Canada to Vancouver on the train. Yeah, I am going to get into some logistical questions around, you know, is it worth getting a train pass versus buying individual tickets and, and all of those types of questions as well. For, so for people listening, hang in for that. You know, you mentioned one of the things, uh, I think you said something along the line, the journey gives relevance to the destination. I totally agree when you're on a train or boat for that matter. It, it's that slow pace of travel, it gives you mental space and also, yeah, I mean, you're physically seeing the landscape change, right? So there's something about that ramp up period that's a little more gentle, I feel, than just kind of landing and getting off the plane and it's just like shockingly, you're there all of a sudden. <laughs> you're kind of like exhausted in a different way, I feel. Whereas on a train trip, it's, it's, it's like relaxing, I guess. It is. I get... I get lots of reading done on a train. Uh, I treat a long train journey as a chill-out opportunity. But yes, you do get to see the, the landscape change. Um, I mean, a classic example is, is crossing the States from Chicago to the Pacific on Amtrak's California Zephyr. You see the flatlands of Nebraska, and you cross the Mississippi, and the next morning you 
scale the Rockies out of Denver, uh, and then snake along those Colorado canyons. And then you're into Utah and the deserts of uh, Nevada. And finally, of course, the Sierra Nevada and down to the Bay Area. And you see that landscape change. You see a continent uh, in a remarkably short space of time. Uh, and you get a feel for it, as well as living on the train with the observation car, the diner, the sleepers, um, almost as you would on a land-based hotel. I feel like train travel in the U.S. is one of those under-the-radar type of travel experiences in the sense that I think the default is, well, either flying or taking the classic American road trip, right? Like you got your car, you can drive around. I I really haven't done a ton of train travel in the U.S. Nothing like you're describing where it was a multi-state, multi-day type of thing. Can you talk about train travel a bit in the States and, and what, I mean, maybe what some of the classic journeys are that we should consider or some of the deals to be had or how you find them. Uh, just give us kind of the 101 on train travel in the US and then we'll and then we'll hop over to Europe after that. Well, Amtrak is is a skeleton network by European standards and by the standards of what was what existed in the 1930s or the 1950s, but it covers the whole country and you've actually got a choice of uh, sort of um, three or four transcontinental routes, uh, one through uh, New Orleans from New York and Washington, Atlanta, New Orleans, and then to Los Angeles, and the others through Chicago. You've got the chief from Chicago to Los Angeles through New Mexico. You've got the California Zephyr, which is, I think, the most scenic of them all from Chicago through um, Denver to Sacramento and the San Francisco area. Um, and these trains from Chicago to the Pacific take two nights and two days. That's basically the journey time. They've got spacious reclining seats. They've got private sleeping accommodations. In fact, some deluxe with ensuite shower and toilet. There's a dining car and there's this glassed-in observation car because these trains west of Chicago are double-deck. They're called superliners. And you can get from coast to coast, New York or Washington to Los Angeles or San Francisco, for as little as 197 US dollars, if you don't mind a reclining seat for three nights. Really? Um, and you book in advance. So it's doable. And I, having done it, I've crossed the state six times by rail, once by road. And having done it, I do not understand why everyone who's in is on the East Coast needs to get to the West Coast and has a weekend to spare, doesn't at least once just try doing it overland. It's easy and it's affordable. Yeah, I mean, one of the magical things I think about train travel in Europe is, is that you kind of, you land in the center of, you're, you're right there. Like the train stations are usually very central. Uh, like you mentioned, the US is more of a skeleton network. So uh, is it, if you want to get off at different places or you want to take, do more train travel in the States, is it, are you dropped in central places like that? Is that possible? Or is it a little more logistically complicated? Well, the big cities, I mean, Los Angeles, Union Passenger Station, one of the greatest stations in the world is right in the middle of Los Angeles. Penn Station in New York is right in downtown Manhattan. Union Station in D.C., Washington, D.C., is right in the center. You can walk to the capital. Um, Boston, same thing. So most of the big stations are right where you want to be in the heart of these famous cities. Occasionally, like Atlanta, Amtrak now calls at uh, Peachtree Station, which in historic terms is on the outskirts. It would have been a, a very unimportant suburban station, I think, in historic times. It doesn't go into the big old 
Union Station in the centre of Atlanta. So occasionally you get something like that. And I think there's a similar arrangement in Phoenix where Amtrak calls it an out-of-town station rather than the old historic town centre place. But in all the major cities, the New Yorks, the Washingtons, the Chicagos, the station is right downtown where you want to be, certainly where a travel tourist like myself wants to be when we come to the States. We'll be back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now let's get back to the show. Is it easy to bring a bike with you on a train like that? Uh, actually, well, I've, of course, I never end up in the States with my bike. So I've never tried taking a bike on Amtrak. Um, I'm not sure how they how they work with those. You can now take your pet, your dog on uh, Amtrak on certain routes, if you like. But I don't know about bikes. Well, let's I think Europe's a good example of it's it's sort of a classic place to travel by train, right? A lot of people are traveling to Europe uh, in general. So I think it's a good place to concentrate with some of these questions around train travel and and getting a Ural pass, or I think it's an, called an interpass, right? If, if you're a European, uh, if you're part of the EU, uh, versus buying tickets individually. If you're the, the traveler that's coming and you're going to be exploring for two to three months, say you have your Schengen visa and you're ready to kind of rock and roll and, and travel around Europe a bit. Uh, I know prices fluctuate. It really depends a lot on your travel style and things. But can you just give us your general advice on on tackling uh, 
planning a trip like this by train? Well, yes, it's called the Eurail Pass for visitors from out, who live outside Europe to give to get uh, unlimited travel across most of the European rail network. But it sort of goes like this: if we if we take Amsterdam to Berlin, uh, the railways have taken the leaf out of the airlines book, and they now offer cheap advanced purchase fares if you book in advance. And the fares are dynamic. From Amsterdam to Berlin, it starts at thirty nine euros, which is what forty five dollars. Whereas the full price, if you just rocked up at Amsterdam and said, give me a fully, fully flexible ticket to Berlin, would be about 126 euros, which is what, $150. So the rail pass saves money over the megabucks full price that you'd pay if you just wanted full flexibility. But if you only want to go from Amsterdam to Berlin, you know exactly what date you're going. You can book a month or two in advance. The cheapest thing is just to book the advance purchase. So that's sort of how it works. Don't assume you need a rail pass. Um, if we take another example, Berlin to Prague, you can buy a ticket from Berlin to Prague in advance from as little as uh, 18 euros, which is about $25. Um, if you rock up on the day, it's about 70 euros, which is what, $80, $85. Um, a rail pass, again, saves you money over the full price but it doesn't save money over the cheap advance purchase. So the big question is, do you want to nail your plans to the floor uh, and travel cheaply, but use it or lose it? You can't catch a later train. You can't change your mind. It's just like a budget airline fare. Or do you want flexibility to go to wake up in the morning and think, I don't want to go to Prague. I want to go to Warsaw. And you can do that with the Eurail Pass. That's the freedom you get. And I'd also say that if you're making a really complex itinerary, if you booked all of it on advance purchase tickets, that might be cheaper. But what happens if something goes wrong with one bit? You've sort of it, it could collapse like a house of cards. So uh, it's more flexible if you've got a Eurail pass and you're doing something extensive, a big tour. Makes sense. Yeah, that was my next question: this balancing the spontaneity versus affordability. And I think that was what caused me to go with your rail pass when I did my original journey because I just wanted to jump on when when it seemed like the right thing to do <laughs> I suppose <laughs> you can't beat it for flexibility that's true the only thing that catches people out with the Eurail pass is uh, sometimes you need to make a reservation which costs an extra fee and if, if you want a really really rough rule of thumb but still one that's useful for planning if we draw a line vertical line down the middle of Europe with Germany uh, and all points, east to the right, and France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, all points to the left. Pretty much every long-distance intercity-type journey you do in the France, Italy, Spain neck of the woods requires a €10 Euro reservation fee uh, and a reservation to go with your rail pass. But pretty much everything to the right of that line in Germany, Switzerland, Belgium, Netherlands, Czech Republic, doesn't require a reservation, doesn't require a fee, you can just hop on. And if it does require a reservation, it'll just be a few euros, a dollar or two, which is no big deal. So just bear that in mind. Sometimes you do need to pay extra. And it's usually in the France, Italy, Spain neck of the woods that you do the extra, you pay the extra. I have a dream to like retrace my URL, uh, my URL journey in some ways from my 24 year old self. Maybe it's a midlife crisis or something. I don't know. I'm going to do that one day. <laughs> um, I'm sure you have some advice around overnighting. I always found that, you know, that's a great tactic when you want to trade, uh, save on accommodations for the night and you just sleep on the train and get to where you need to go without having to 
pay for a hotel. Do you have any best practices or tips around booking trains in that way where you're going to do overnight accommodations uh, like looped into the ticket? Well, we've got, you, you usually find three types of accommodation on a European night train. Ordinary sit up all night seats, which I really don't recommend. I think it's a false economy uh, to, to just sit in a seat. We have things called couchettes, which are flat padded bunks with rug and pillow, so you can sleep lying down in a safely locked compartment, either four or six to a to a compartment, a lot more space per person than a four berth and a six berth. So it's worth paying the slightly higher supplement to be in a four berth. And then we have proper sleeping cars, which have proper made up beds and a wash basin and an attendant on duty. Uh, and that gives you the proper bed hotel on rails experience. And obviously that, that costs a bit more. But you can travel in sleeping cars and couchettes on a Eurail pass. You just have to pay the reservation fee for the sleeping berth. Um, but they're a great way of traveling long distance time effectively by train, leaving the city centre in the evening and arriving the following morning. So you've taken no time out of your schedule. You've saved a hotel bill. And actually, it's a nice experience lying snuggling between crisp sheets uh, in your berth, reading by the little glow of your berth light with steel wheel and steel swishing on steel rail beneath you, knowing that you'll be in a completely different city and possibly a different country by tomorrow morning. It's cosy and romantic maybe would be the word in some ways the swaying and the way you're describing it it takes me there yeah it is it's the most romantic <laughs> form of overland travel i reckon the sleeping <laughs> car yeah i guess you know when i think about traveling on planes or something there's always i always go into it with a certain way i want to make sure i have a filled water bottle i want to make sure i have certain things are there any things that you can think of that that you just can't live without when you go on a longer train journey or, or just any advice you have for people listening that maybe have done have not done something like this before? You know, the one thing that air has in its favor is that it's easy to book. The experience, if we're honest, isn't actually that pleasant most of the time, but it's easy to book. With train travel, it's the other way around. The experience is actually really easy. Um, in fact, most problems people have are because they're overthinking it, because their airline experience has told them to overthink it, like they're worried about their luggage. Well, actually, nobody cares about your luggage on a train take pretty much on most trains you take what you like you stick it on the rack you handle it they don't weigh it they don't measure it they don't argue with you about it it's simpler and if you want to bring a bottle of wine along and open it in most countries that's perfectly fine too imagine trying to do that on a plane you'd be stopped getting on i think with your your bottle um but the booking it is is really the difficult bit with train travel in Europe. Um, but it's like most other things. You put a bit more effort in and you get a lot more out. And the key thing is don't imagine there is some sort of Eurorail booking ticketing system. There isn't. It's 30 plus different countries. Every country has got its own national rail operator. Every one of those operators has its own separate ticketing system in its own website. Then there's open access operators who uh, have their own websites as well. Then there are what look like separate independent companies like Talis and TGV Lyria that are actually owned by the national rail operators involved, created to operate a specific route. So the only tricky bit is working out which website you need to book which route. Don't assume that there's a magic silver bullet one that does everything. Search for the operator's own route, the national, usually the national rail operator website for the country where your journey starts. And that's where you'll find the cheap tickets because uh, many travel agencies would rather sell you something expensive um, 
they won't they won't always have access to the local cheap deals. So if you want to go Prague to Berlin for eighteen euros, or Vienna to Budapest for thirteen euros, or Brussels to Prague for twenty nine euros, you'll find those at the lo- at the actual rail operator websites. Okay. And of course, if you go to seat61.com, you have a wealth of information there on the website. So, Well, in a sense, that's exactly why, exactly why I started it, because it's so difficult to work out which site to use for which journey. I thought I'd write a site that told you. Well done. <laughs> Let's talk about planning some epic journeys. The one that sticks out in my mind is the Trans-Siberian Expressway. I know there's some other ones, but that's one that a lot of people are familiar with. A bigger journey like that, how do you go about getting your head around it, booking it, figuring it out? Um, do you know, the biggest the biggest headache isn't the trains, because getting a train ticket is actually the easy bit. The biggest headache is making sure you get all the visas and you get the visas in the right order, because sometimes one country wants to see the visa for the other country that you've passed through. Um sometimes you can't book train tickets until fairly close to departure, but you need to apply for visas a bit further ahead. So you need to get your head around the visa logistics first. And if you can sort that out, the transport's easy. The Trans-Siberian, people think of it going to Vladivostok, but actually having done that, it was seven days of Siberia. And to be honest, even I was going a bit crazy by the time, stir crazy by the time I reached Vladivostok. There are two trains a week between Moscow and Beijing, the capital of China. Uh, Taking six nights, it's about... 5,000 miles. Uh, One cuts across Mongolia and the Gobi Desert. The other takes a little bit longer route straight and cuts straight from Russia into China. Both of them are fantastic journeys. I'd recommend the one through Mongolia and the Gobi Desert where you see the the yurts and the camels. Um, And of course, if you want to, there's a week, there's a twice weekly train from Beijing to Hanoi in Vietnam. You can easily catch a train onto Saigon hop on a bus to Phnom Penh in Cambodia, hop on another bus and train to get you to Bangkok, and then train to Singapore. Now, that's quite a journey, isn't it? You can start in London and end up in Singapore uh, by train all the way apart from uh, a short bus journey across Cambodia. That's something satisfying about that (laughs) on many levels. We kind of mentioned maybe going a little stir-crazy on the Trans-Siberian Expressway. Some of these things are, I don't know, maybe a bit sexier on the outside than when you actually get in on them. But I'm curious with all your experience, what are some of your say top three to five all time, you must ride the rails, do this trip bucket list type of train rides. And maybe they're not even the most obvious ones, you know, maybe something personal to you. I often find that's the case, but. Well, we've mentioned the California Zephyr from Chicago to San Francisco. Yeah. That is world-class and it's not even mega bucks. Just, you know, don't argue. <laughs> if you live in Chicago, if you live in the States, don't argue. Just book an Amtrak tri- trip across the States. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, from my point of view, one of my favorites is close to home, close to my home, the Caledonian Sleeper from London to Fort William in the West Highlands of Scotland. Now, that's great because I could finish a full day's work in central London, catch the sleeper in the evening, have my own little room uh, with a club car for a nightcap, um, I'd sleep the night away, put the blind up next morning, and I'd see deer bounding away from the train with this babbling brook and gnarled oak trees of the West Highlands. And you end up within a 10-minute walk 
of the trail up Ben Nevis, the tallest mountain in Britain. So that's a fabulous route, and I I, I never get tired of tired of that route. Um, we then have the Benina Express in Switzerland, which is a, a, quite a famous Swiss Alpine panoramic train, but it's such a fabulous route over the mountains between Switzerland and Italy. I think it's my favourite route from Switzerland to Italy, even though it's probably the slowest. And if you want an obscure one, there's a fantastic route from Belgrade in Serbia to Bar in Montenegro on the Adriatic, which takes you through the Montenegrin mountains. It was only completed in 1976 when it was Yugoslavia. But that journey is dramatic with a capital D on those those mountains. And it costs about 20 euros, what, 20, 30, $20, $30 to go from Belgrade to Bar, a day's ride on one of the most spectacular railways in Europe. So it needn't be expensive. Fantastic list. I love it. Have you taken the train from Oslo to Bergen? Here in Norway? I have, years ago. That's a lovely run. Of course, uh, what I didn't do and should have done is the side trip on the Flom Railway. I didn't do the side trip either, but it's spectacular scenery all the way, which is uh, <sighs> taking me back, man. I'm ready to hop on. I'm ready to go down to the station and hop on the train right now. <laughs> um, who are some of your most memorable passengers that you've shared rides with? Just... Uh, you know, people that you've met, you know, a lot of the travel experiences that stick out to me are, you know, those, the people that you meet along the way, right? I'm, I imagine you've met a few characters <laughs> in your time. <laughs> oh, um, I have indeed. I mean, one that comes to mind is I was in visiting Egypt and I was waiting for the air conditioned express from Aswan to Luxor and word reached me that it was an hour and a half late. And just as I heard that, in rolled a broken down second and third class train with broken windows. Everything, it, was, it was dusty, dirty. It was Tourists wouldn't normally travel on this train. But hey, it was there. The express was late. I had half a bottle of mineral water. How bad could it be? So I got on this thing and it was, yeah, one of the most rundown trains I'd ever been on, this second and third class non-air conditioned train. But actually, once we got going, open windows, you can actually see out better than from an air-conditioned train. And it's a lovely journey along the Nile. You can actually see the Nile and the cultivated strip. And the cultivation stops abruptly where the desert begins on the other side of the rails from the, the Nile. And uh, first of all, these school children got in and sat in the opposite, in the seat, next seating bay along. And the bravest of them would peep over the edge. And when I looked up, he ducked down again. And eventually, he summoned up the courage to come round and sit next to me, get his English book out. And I had to explain, I had to read his English book. I had to read the English words and pronounce them as I would pronounce them, which was, was great. So they thought that was great. And then they got off. Another chap got on, same train. And his opening line to me was, I like vodka. You like vodka? I like whiskey. You like whiskey? And he t it turns out that he's a barman on one of the Nile steamers, and he's returning to his village, and he was bemoaning the fact that he can't get his uh, vodka and whiskey in his uh, Egyptian, Egyptian village. But um, he did invite me to his wedding at some unspecified day, uh, date in the future <laughs> in, in his village. So, yeah, you meet people by train, and often, often you have more interaction with local people catching a train than you... Uh, than you would otherwise get, certainly if you took domestic flights and tour buses around a country. You actually meet the people. It's a different environment. You know, when you're sitting facing somebody, it's different than sitting alongside of them. 
in some ways, right? There Maybe there's something psychological there as well. <laughs> I don't know. And depending on how crowded the train is, I feel like you can also have the option to, like, if you want to have your kind of alone time, you can move around like that. But if you see some interesting looking folks in, a, in one of those little booths or something, you can just pop in and grab a seat and chances are you're going to get into a conversation if they seem open to it. It's, yeah, it's it's sociable on a train. Um, and I'm, I'm actually not a fan of sitting face to back, staring at a seat back six inches from my face. Um, I wouldn't go into a restaurant or bar and sit facing the wall. So I actually like face to face seating, bays of seats. It's more open. It's more natural. It's more human, more sociable. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the vodka whiskey guy. What do you have a go to kind of comfort blanket or, uh, when you get on the train or when you're kind of ready to have a, a drink in the train bar you like man i gotta go get my you know x y or z scotch or <laughs> something like that well well i tend to try i tend to test you see doing the job i do at the moment i will test the catering on the train um and see what they've got on offer and uh, give it my considered expert opinion. Uh, I, I especially like uh, considering my opinions on uh, glasses of red. Okay. Yeah. That's your uh, your poison, if you will. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. What about the future of train travel in this post-pandemic world? Where do you think things are going? The industry, is it, is it going to change a lot, kind of remain the same? You see a spike? Uh, what, what, just what are your thoughts if you're going to put on your, look into your crystal ball, I guess, and try to predict? It is a crystal ball, isn't it? Um, it is guesswork. I suspect, or do I hope, or both, that the pandemic will slowly go away as vaccinations continue. And what seems like the world changing forever when you're in the middle of a pandemic will suddenly become, well, it's happened and it's over. And we will get back to something that's more normal than you might suspect at the moment. And the, my, my excuse for saying that is if we look at the pandemic for 100 years ago, from the 1918-19 pandemic, you think, well, did it really affect the Roaring Twenties? Did it affect travel in the Roaring Twenties? I don't think it did. I think they, they had a very bad time for two years and then the Roaring Twenties came along and that was sort of forgotten. So I'm hoping it'll be the same again. I'm glad to see that uh, the train companies seem to have got the help they need and that includes Amtrak in the States, it includes the European ones and the British ones. So not a lot has, 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 has been hit so badly economically that they'll disappear. We might see the airlines throttle back at least in the early stages after the pandemic. And I think climate change isn't going to go away. I think climate change is going to be the new focus once the pandemic is behind us. People are already beginning to think about the way they travel for climate change reasons. And also because what they tell me is they want to cut the carbon footprint. They're also a bit fed up with the airline experience. And that's one of the things behind the revival in night trains, sleeper trains here in Europe. Sleeper trains have had a hard time over past few decades because of budget airlines but now they seem to be coming back and uh, we've got that to look forward to yeah just offhand do you do you know any of the either stats or measurable impact in terms of train travel versus uh, airline travel well eurostar did some work to actually put some figures to this they run the train service from london to paris and london to brussels and they established that taking the train 
on that 300 mile journey versus taking a flight cut CO2 emissions by up to 90%. So that's not 10% or 20%. We're talking a massive 90%. Uh, A lot depends on how your electricity is generated. So if it's generated by hydroelectric or sustainable or even nuclear, that's very low CO2 emissions. Diesel trains won't be quite as good. On the other hand, high-speed trains use more energy. Classic trains use less energy. So it swings and roundabouts, but it is it is significant. I mean, we're talking 70, 80, 90% reductions in CO2 by staying on the ground and taking the train. But my message has always been that you're not suffering to save the planet. You're actually doing yourself a favor because you're going to see more, experience more. It's going to be a much more pleasant experience. I love that. This is a really important point, I think, and and I'm glad that we're having the chat. And thanks for sharing that because... We have to be responsible travelers in this way. We have to educate ourselves. And I, like you said, I don't think you're s- sacrificing a lot by taking the train. In fact, I think you're, I agree with you. I think you're probably getting a better experience in a lot of different ways. And, and this comes down to, it's a different kind of travel, right? Do you have to rush around and see everything? Is that what it's all about? Or is it just about the experience as a whole? You know, and I feel like train travel gives you that. It does. I mean, you can use it as you want. You can travel around continually seeing different cities. You can use it to get to a city and stay there for three weeks. It's it's entirely up to you. You can travel economically. You can travel first class if you like. Um, the options are there. Um, but the journey is part of the experience. And one of the key things to remember is that a flight may take an hour, but by the time you've taken the best part of an hour to get out to the airport and you've checked in for an hour or two and taken the hour flight and then spent time getting into the city at the other end you're talking four or five hours to go by air even if it's a one-hour flight so if the train takes three four five hours you haven't actually lost anything sometimes people have difficulty getting their head around that if they're if they're fixed on this idea that it's a one-hour flight what are some other resources i know Obviously, your website, seat61.com, is a wealth of knowledge. And I was just wondering if you had any other apps or things that you also share or recommend that people check out. Well, for European trains, the, the one site I use all the time for train times is the German Railways website, barn.de forward slash en. Um, that's the German Railways website, but it's got a timetable that covers pretty much the whole of Europe. So if you want to know train times from Madrid to Zurich, uh, the first thing I'd do is tap it into the German Railways website. It won't give you fares or tickets unless the journey is to, from, or across Germany, because it's German Railways, but it'll give you train times pretty much everywhere. In fact, sometimes even for train times in the UK, it's quicker to use the German site than to struggle with some of the British sites. Thanks for that. That's that's great. I ne- never would have found that on my own. <laughs> Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This 
device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show. Did you become an accidental entrepreneur by, yes. by doing this whole thing or was it sort of calculated? <laughs> no, £2.95 is what it cost me. <laughs> I was commuting to and from London and... Uh, the momentous day arrived where I finally finished my novel. Not novel I was writing, novel I was reading on the train home. And uh, I did what any other commuter would do, walk into the, the news agents at Marylebone Station in London looking for something to read on the train home. And a book caught my eye. In fact, it was pretty much a magazine. Um, Teach Yourself HTML, the language that websites are or certainly were written in. Uh, probably the best £2.95 I have ever spent in my life because I read it. It worked. I got a web page online. thought, this is good. What am I going to do with this? And the subject for me was obvious. It, it was so easy and practical to take the train between the UK and not just Paris or Brussels, but Switzerland, Italy, Spain, Portugal, wherever. But it had become so downright impossible to find anyone in the commercial world, meaning the rail industry itself or the wider travel industry, who would tell you how to do it. So I thought I'd be subversive and would put that information online. And it literally started as one page with instructions for how to get from London to a handful of major cities by train and which websites to use to buy the tickets at the cheapest rates for each stage of those journeys. And then it's, it, it just snowballed. And that was 2001. So this year, it's actually been around for 20 years. I, it seems strange that the net's been around for 20 years, but obviously it has. Um, it's been my full-time job since 2007. And uh, pre-pandemic, at any rate, it, it, the website gets up to a million visitors a month, which I never thought when I started, started it on my home computer. That's good. Isn't it amazing, these seemingly... I don't know, arbitrary moments, maybe in the moment. Oh, this book looks looks interesting. I'm going to pick this up. You know, end up being the the big moments, the big pivots in life. You don't know it at the time necessarily, but certainly didn't. I mean, it was life changing. Yes, two pounds ninety five. Yeah, what three dollars fifty? How do you think uh, making that choice and and starting this and doing this with the last twenty years? You said of your life. How has that impacted your life positively? negatively or how do you feel about well, to the- totally I, I no longer have to commute up to london for 
an hour and a half each way a day. I don't have to work in an office. I can get up in the morning and think, what shall I write about today on my site? What shall I research today? What shall I do? And it's a subject which I'm passionate about. And what's that old Chinese proverb? Give a man a job he loves and he'll never work another day in his life. Well, it's exactly that. Uh, It's a great feeling to be helping people and doing what you love. And of course, I can now do what I love and it's part of the job, research. Testing all that red wine so I know where you get the best sort of (laughs) the best train operators. Hey, man, somebody's got to do it. So when this whole pandemic comes to an end, where's your first uh, big trip? Well, from my point of view, there's a few ones that I really want to do. One is the railway to Lhasa in Tibet. There's a, a train from Beijing to Lhasa, the highest mainline railway in the world. Uh, I almost did it a few years ago, but they changed the Tibet permit conditions on me. So that's that's unfinished business. I'd also like to catch the train up to Machu Picchu in Peru, because that's something that uh, that I hadn't done. Um, but in Europe, I've got uh, a few trips I need to do for research for the website. Um, so I need to get down to Italy, and I think I'd like to get down to Portugal. I like the odd glass of port, so I think Porto might warrant a visit in the north of Portugal. Well, hey, listen, man, if you decide to do some quote-unquote research over here in Norway, we do have the Aquavit, which is a Norwegian spirit that uh, they're famous for. And I would certainly love to uh, have a toast and, and do one of these in person on a train ride somewhere with you. That would be awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. You're on. <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Uh, don't forget, check out seat61.com. And is there anything else you want to share or anywhere else you want to point people? I think we've covered an awful lot. But uh Keep on traveling and every journey you make, think, can I do it on the ground? Can I make this a more interesting experience? Because that's what it's all about, the experience. I love that. And we'll throw a challenge out to people. You know, if you have not taken a train trip before in the way that we're describing, book one and try it next time. And if you have or you haven't in a while, then maybe you do the same. We'll just throw a challenge out to people. And of course, you can check out Mark's website to get more information on how exactly to do that. Mark, thank you so much, and I hope to stay in touch. You're welcome. There you have it, my chat with Mark Smith, a true expert on train travel. Man, I had a blast picking his brain, hearing some of his stories, and he got me fired up. As a matter of fact, (laughs) just before I started recording this, I thought... Hey, maybe I'm just going to Google what are some of the best train trips from Oslo, where I live, that I haven't taken yet. And what are some of the ones that I might want to take here in the next three months? You know, my wife and I did this towards the end of the summer, and this was a helpful thing. We started writing down the things we wanted to do before the summer ended because, you know, sometimes these seasons move so quickly. And next thing you know, it's finished. We're like, well, wait a minute, hold on. There's something, you know, there's some people we want to have over for dinner. There's a couple activities and things we haven't done yet that we want to do. And so I said to her yesterday, hey, we should do this for the fall, right? Like before the fall's over, before winter hits, we should kind of prioritize some of the things we want to do around here. And guess what I'm adding? A train trip with the family. <laughs> I'm putting it on the list. I'm going to do something nearby, like within a couple hours. Uh, I just miss sitting on a train as a traveler, not as a commuter, but as a traveler. Like you got the stuff, you're going away for, you know, 
however long, and you're just riding the rails. Love, love, love train travel. I wanted to share how train travel changed my life forever. And if you haven't heard before, the the most, well, I don't like to rank these things, but probably the trip that changed my life the most was my first solo backpacking trip to Europe. When I came out of college, I worked for a year on the road, uh, actually like about a year and a half. And then I just saved up money. And then I went on this backpacking trip, the, the classic sort of stay in hostels, got the year rail pass and traveled around Europe. And it was so life-changing on many levels. It's the reason this podcast exists. It's the reason I became a nomad for 10 years. It's just everything I've been doing, I think my whole life, if I, if I didn't take that trip, I have no idea <laughs> where my life would have gone. But a huge part of that trip was the train travel, how I moved my body through space, as I mentioned in the in the show. It, it really impacts the travel experience, and it certainly did for me. So I got to just meet so many people, have time for conversations, time to think, time to reflect. Uh, I was able to see the countryside change, the landscape change, you know, all of these wonderful things about train travel, and, and it just... It made me fall in love with travel by train, and it did truly change my life forever. If you've been thinking about doing a train trip for a while, or maybe you love train travel, you haven't done one for a while, or you've never done one before, highly encourage you to get back out there and ride the train. My friend Nora, who was at Camp Indy, give her a shout out. You can check out her work at theprofessionalhobo.com. She just did an epic, I think it was like 7,000 mile train trip around the US. (laughs) It's crazy. So I got to sit down and chat with her about that. She said she had a wonderful experience and overall it was it was just incredible. So train travel can change your life. Well any travel can change your life. I firmly believe that. And at least for me, that first Euro pass train trip kind of having that spontaneous ability to just go from one city to the next, landing in some new European hub and getting into adventures. Incredible. Just just fantastic. One of the most memorable passengers I met, I know I asked this question of Mark, and the one that keeps sticking out, I mean, I met so many amazing people, but there was one guy that I always remember because <laughs> I sat next to him I have no idea how we started talking about math or why. Maybe he steered the the conversation towards math because, well, as you'll hear in a minute, he was a bit of a math geek, I guess, which I appreciate because I I can geek out on a little math and physics. I mean, I can't do it well, but I, I like learning about the concepts behind it. Anyway, he started doing a Pythagorean theorem proof. If you recall... The Pythagorean theorem is the theorem that states the square of the hypotenuse of a right triangle is equal to the sum of the squares on the two legs. I'm reading that. I didn't memorize that. (laughs) Anyway, a proof is when you can essentially prove a concept in mathematics, right? So I sat there and watched him do this whole proof. And it was just cool because I, I understood it when he was doing it and he was explaining it. But what was really cool and memorable was just seeing him so passionate about this thing, right? Just like frantically writing on this notebook, doing all this math and just like telling me how awesome it is, how, how this 
you know, leads to this and this is why this is this way. I don't remember the specifics, obviously. <laughs> a podcaster, not a mathematician. Anyway, it was just his passion and his energy around mathematics. And it was just a great reminder that, hey, you know, it's a really cool thing to do to just share your passion with people. And, you know, whether it gets them fired up or not, I get inspired by people that are passionate about the things that they do, even if they're not things I'm totally interested in. So never be afraid to be that passionate person in the room, to be that person in the room that's just like, you know, you love something, you know, don't try to hide it. You're telling something, somebody about it, they ask you something about it. Show them your passion, baby. Show them your passion. All right, now I'm going to leave you with a quote. I mean, trains, I thought, maybe we'll do a quote from Agatha Christie here, who has written a lot about trains, probably most famously with her book, Murder on the Orient Express. And she had a cool quote about trains. She said, Trains are wonderful. To travel by train is to see nature and human beings, towns and churches, and rivers. In fact, to see life. Thanks again for listening. Peace and love, and I will see you next time, my friend. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.